0: Gracious Lord, we give you thanks and praise for this day where we might gather to worship you. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now, that we might clearly see you this morning and know what it is to follow Jesus in faith. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Here we are at the end of our series, looking at the story of Abraham and the life of faith. Over these weeks, we have definitely seen some low moments where faith wavered and sin seemed to prevail. But we have also seen many moments of incredible promise, faith, and joy. Think all the way back to to that first account when the Lord called Abraham to leave his homeland and to follow him and now consider where we are. All the twists and turns that have come along the way and the whole account seems to culminate in what we read last week, the birth of Isaac when the the promised son has finally come. Surely, then, that's the end of it, right? It's just smooth sailing from there, of course, right? Well, not so fast. The truth is that everything that we have looked at, all the ups and downs of Abraham's life, they were building toward this moment that we read about this morning. God's call to Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac. Now, in many ways, this is a confusing moment for people, and and many people have debated the meaning and the significance of this story throughout the years, but for Christians, it is a moment of great importance. This account prefigures the moment of moments when another son and only son would be sacrificed. And so to help us dive into this narrative a little more closely. We're going to ask three questions this morning. Why would God ask this? What is his purpose behind it? And then where do we go with it? After having answered these questions, I I hope what we will see is that Genesis 22 is all about having complete faith in our good Father who always provides. Let's start with this first question. Why would God ask this? After all, favoring child sacrifice doesn't really fit with our idea of God's nature, does it? We have scriptures like Deuteronomy 12 where God names the pagan practice of burning their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods as an abomination. And yet after all the years of waiting... And the promise made about this child, here is God in verse 2 saying, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What's going on here? Why would God ask this? Well, actually the answer is given to us directly in verse 1. We read, after these things, God tested Abraham. God is putting Abraham to the test. Now, we might not like that answer. I don't know about you all, but I was told repeatedly in my young Christian life that, that God doesn't test people at all, that God would never test us. And if he did, that's that's one of those Old Testament things that he, he used to do. That doesn't apply to us New Testament people. Well, it turns out that James didn't get that memo. Since he opened his epistle with, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Same goes for Peter, by the way. 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. So not only does God test us, it should be expected. It is not a strange thing at all. (coughs) We don't think that God tests us or We feel uncomfortable with it because we get testing mixed up with tempting. James tells us that God will not tempt us to sin, but also he told us what we just read, that we will be tested. It's because James understands the difference between the two. Tempting is something that entices us to sin, and therefore is from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Testing, on the other hand, doesn't entice us to sin, but to faith. It is God bringing us to situations where we are forced to confront whether we truly believe in Him for our lives, our well being, and our good, or not. The Lord tests His people to convict us of our sin, to challenge our hearts, and expose those places which might be tempted to sin, to follow the world, the flesh, and the devil over our God. And he does it so that he might produce greater faith within us. And that's what he's doing with Abraham. We know this because of how the account ends. At that very last moment, knife raised in the air, ready to come down upon his son, Abraham hears a voice from heaven calling out for him to stop. Verse 16, we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. Stop there. That's what this test was all about. The test was to see whether or not Abraham had grown in faith enough to trust God, even with his most prized possession. Did you notice through the reading how Isaac's value is being highlighted throughout this passage? At the beginning and at the end of the account, he was referred to as Abraham's son, his only son, heightening who he is. Verse 2 highlights how much Abraham loves his son. The narrative is making it clear that there was nothing more valuable to Abraham than Isaac. Or nearly nothing. What the test showed was that Abraham valued at least one thing more than Isaac. And that was God. Abraham's good times and his bad times, his stumbles, his victories, all of them were building the faith necessary to trust God with his son. His only son, whom he loved. Because if he didn't, the result would have been catastrophic. It would mean that for Abraham, the son who was promised, the son meant to bless the world, would be an idol. Idolatry is putting anything or anyone, even good things, in the place of God. If Abraham had withheld his son from God, if he had not obeyed God in faith, it would have been saying to God, I love this child more than I love you. And that is idolatry. The Lord tests Abraham to see where his faith truly lies in the child or in the Lord, in the gift or in the giver, in the promise or in the one who makes the promise. And notice as well when this test comes. It isn't in the middle of some trial or difficult season of life. It comes when things are good. We're told at the end of chapter 21 that Abraham had peace with those around him, that he sojourned in the land many days. It's a time of comfort, of peace, of quiet. It's in those times that we need to pay attention because it's in those times, those times of our our comfort. that we tend to forget God. We tend to trust in those things that we think are bringing our comfort, to believe in them more than we believe in God himself. In this moment, God is testing Abraham's heart to see if Abraham would take the good gift that he had given him and turn him into an idol. Will Abraham still follow God? Will he still have faith, even if he is asked to give up his most precious thing? I suppose the question before us is fairly clear. What's that for us? What is the most precious thing we have in our life as a child? spouse, the job that you've attached your identity to, your money, your life, your health, your well-being, what is it? What is the thing that you value more than all other things? Would you be willing to give it up if Jesus called you to? Would you be willing to take that thing that you value so highly and give it over to God if he asked you to? If the answer is no, then you have an idol. And chances are, that idol will be exposed when your comfort is challenged. Why does the Lord call Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Because he is testing his faith. Who does he really believe in? Now, in answering that question, the second question, the answer to the second question, becomes fairly clear. God is calling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac as a test to his faith. The purpose behind it then is to produce genuine, steadfast faith in the Lord. God is calling Abraham to genuine, steadfast faith and to see if he will respond with it. And that is actually what we see in Abraham. Notice all the minute details that are included in our passage here. The Lord calls Abraham. Somehow he goes to sleep that night, wakes up the next morning, and sets about his task. In verse 3, we see him getting everything he needs together for the journey. Verse 4, we read that he traveled for three days on foot before they came to the mountain. Then comes the work of painstakingly unpacking. Of placing the wood upon his son, walking up the mountain, and then building the altar for the sacrifice. We are given all of these details in this description of a multiple-day journey because at no point did Abraham turn around. At no point did he say, you know what, this doesn't make any sense, I'm going home.
1: Was he wrestling
0: with it internally? Maybe, but we're not actually told that. And my temptation is to say he probably wasn't wrestling as much as we think he would be. Why do I say that? Well, look at what the text actually says.
1: They arrive at the mountain,
0: and in verse 5, Abraham says to the two young men who had been traveling with him and Isaac, he says to them, stay here with the donkey.'" I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then here's the key, and come to you again. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then we will come to you again. Abraham believed. That he and Isaac would go and worship, and even though the Lord had called him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham believed that he and Isaac would return to the young men again. Why would Abraham believe that? The answer is faith. But it's not blind faith. This is informed, or we could say discipled faith. Because this entire time, from Abraham's initial call to this very moment, what has the Lord been doing? What have we said over and over again in this series? The Lord has been showing Abraham who he is. He's been revealing his character, his nature to Abraham, so that in this moment, Abraham would have the faith to trust him. He's taking all of those lessons he's learned, all the times that he decided to do the sister-wife act, all the times he stumbled into sin, all the times he went in the wrong direction and God corrected him, he's taking all of that and he's applying it to the moment that he is in right then and there. What does he know about God? What does he know about the goodness and the grace and the character of God? Ringing in his heart and mind would have been the truth that all along the Lord has announced his promise to Abraham. And all along the Lord has delivered on it. He's been true to his word. And his word about this son, his only son, was that through him... Abraham would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. That was the promise that God had made. And so Abraham took what he knew about the Lord, how he keeps his word, and he applied it to that moment. So that he could trust him in it. It's what we are meant to do in our life of faith as we walk with Christ now, each and every moment, remembering who our God is and applying his character, his nature to what we are going through so that we might know how to move forward. It's what Abraham does. It's why the author of Hebrews could write of this moment. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham walked by faith because he believed that the Lord was faithful. He had seen the Lord move, and so he trusted him. It was by faith that he was able to answer that sweet, innocent question that Isaac asks him. When he looks and says, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Somehow, Abraham, by informed, discipled faith, believed that either through resurrection or through substitution, the Lord would provide. And that is how we answer our third and final question for this morning. Where do we go with this? What do we gain from it? What does it matter? How does it impact our life of faith? Well, sure enough, as we saw, the Lord did provide. He provided a substitute sacrifice for Isaac through a ram that just happened to appear. At just the right moment. Isn't it funny how that happens when God's at work? The faith that both Abraham and Isaac displayed is shown to be well placed as the Lord does provide. Now, friends, as Christians reading this passage, the alarm bell should be ringing like crazy through the entire account. If you know the gospel at all, the illusions here should be so obvious to you that they are almost laughable. Look at the story again. Look at the son, who in hearing the call of his father and obeying the will of his father, goes up a mountain carrying a load of wood upon himself, from which a tool of sacrifice will be built. Look at this son laid down upon the wood that he carried to be offered as a sacrifice. Now where might we have heard something like that before? It is, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus himself. And while the images here recall the death of Christ for us, it's actually the words that we should be paying the most attention to. These these words in particular that should jump out to us because of how important they are for our faith. It's three words. Provision, substitution, and resurrection. To follow Jesus well, those three words are absolutely crucial to know. For just as the Lord provided for Abraham in a substitution for Isaac, though he could have easily resurrected the boy from the dead, in Christ he provided for us in the most profound way possible, with a perfect substitution. So that we would not have to pay the penalty of our sins. So that we would not have to incur the wrath of God upon ourselves, Jesus, the Son of God, the only Son of God, whom he loved, was substituted for us. So that a perfect sacrifice could be made. So that we could be provided for. And then by his resurrection we who now have faith in him are resurrected ourselves. We who, like Isaac, were as good as dead are raised to new life in Christ. Because the Lord has provided the perfect substitute. Now, if you believe that, If you read this account and you hear the gospel in it, if you hear the truth that God has provided the perfect sacrifice, and you look upon Jesus and you say, yes, amen, that is my God, and I will follow him. If that is your response to this, if like Abraham, you have walked through life, and you've seen God provide for you, you've seen how he's grown you, even through challenging times, if that is your response to this, let me ask you then, when the test comes, how are you going to respond? If you believe all of that, how will you respond when the test comes? Who are you going to trust in? When the test comes, will you rebel against him? Will you respond in anger because how dare he test me? Will you cling to the idol of your heart? That thing you've loved so much you've actually put it in the place of God himself. Or like Abraham. Will you trust in the character and faithfulness of God? Remembering all that I have said. And don't take my word for it. Crack open the Gospels yourself. It's right there for you. It's in all of Paul's letters. It's through the whole book. What God has done for you. Will you take that truth and will you trust God? Because he's shown himself to be faithful. Will you remember how he has acted on your behalf behalf, to provide for you? Will you by faith lay everything, every part of you, all parts of your life, will you lay it before him and say, Father, I trust you with this. I trust you even with the things that I have loved so much because I love you more. Even when I'm scared, would you help me to follow you? Even where I'm not sure where you're taking me, like Abraham, will I follow you? Help me. Even when I've grown comfortable, even when it would be the easiest thing in the world for me to just stay where I am, Lord, would you help me to follow where you're leading? Abraham believed that God would provide, and guess what? God did. And in response to Abraham's faith, the Lord confirms the promise he made to him once again. Verse 18. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham trusted in the Lord over all things, withholding nothing from him. followed the will of his father. And he hears the blessing of his promise because that is where the blessings of God's promise lie, in his will. Such faith would culminate later in history when Christ himself, the perfect descendant of Abraham, would come with blessing and life. For that is where faith in Christ leads, the blessing of life in him. As Paul would say, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God did not withhold his son, his only son, whom he loved from us. He gave him for us. Why would you withhold anything from him? Why would you not trust him? The story of Abraham is the story in one sense that we are all called to. Though we stumble and fall, though we sin and we sin some more, our God provides for us. He provides the forgiveness and the substitution we need so that we would be blessed with resurrected life, in him My dear friends in Christ, he who promises is faithful. It is the lesson that Abraham learned through a lifetime of ups and downs, of times of sin and times of faithfulness. He who promises is faithful. And following him, we will be tested, and our sins will be confronted. Yet just as he was to Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, he who promises is faithful. Confess the idolatry and unfaithfulness of your heart and find in Jesus the one worthy to be followed and trusted with every part of your life, with all that you are and all that you love, for he is faithful and he is true to his word.